Well, good morning, everybody. Back in March, I was praying about what, we ch- which, what series we should launch, well, basically right now. And, and a story came to me as I was praying, and it's a story that took place 3,100 years ago. It's a life story of a guy named Samuel. It's funny because uh, some people call Samuel the kingmaker. God chose Samuel to anoint the first two kings of Israel, King Saul and King David. Scholars will tell you that Samuel was the last judge and the first prophet in the nation of Israel. But I think for me, what captures my attention when we're talking about the story of Samuel is that we don't often talk about the story of Samuel. Like maybe if you grew up going to church, you've heard his name before, but I'll bet you'd never heard a sermon preached on him, let alone a series, and I like that. I want you to think about something for just a second. I want you to think about the fact that on the pages of history, billions and billions and billions and billions of life stories have played out. And yet we have God's word, the Bible. And God chose a select number of men and women to tell those select number of stories and place them in his word. Some of them are famous people and some of them are people like Samuel who maybe aren't as Famous. And, and I think I know why God chose the stories that he did, and I think it's because the stories that we find in the Bible are exemplary. Exemplary. They are timeless. See, every single person that we read about in the Bible is extraordinary, which is amazing because right there you have something in common with the people in the Bible because you're extraordinary. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. We live in a culture where I think there's too many people, far too many people, who walk around saying, I'm just some guy. I'm just some girl. Look, if I was to give an emoji that would describe our culture today, it wouldn't be a smiling or a frowning emoji. It wouldn't be a crying or an LOLing emoji. It would be a shrug emoji. Meh. Just some guy. Just some girl. No passion. And, and, and we wonder why. why. Why isn't there more passion? Well, there's not more passion because we have a whole culture full of people that believe that they're just some guy and, some, and just some girl. No wonder there's so much compromise. No, no wonder there's so little perseverance. No, no wonder we live in a culture where over and over and over again, this is what I see, I see people uh, mistaking a toll booth for a roadblock. See, last week I, I told you that God is writing a great story on the pages of history. It's a story called redemption. And here's how he wants to write it. He wants to get a hold of your life. And he wants to write a great story on the pages of your life, and it's called redemption. And he wants to hand you the pen and ask you to write your story on the pages of his story. You're not just some guy. You're not just some girl. There's a specificity to you. There's a plan for you. There's a purpose for you. You were created to tell a great story. And the number one factor that will determine whether or not you tell the story that you were created to tell is this. Do you believe, do you know, have you taken hold of the truth that you have a story to tell at all? And I think we live in a culture where there's a lot of people walking around saying, what story? 
See, I think you were born to tell a great story, and, and I think it, over the course of your great story, you're gonna hit a toll booth from time to time. The, the, the cost of a great story, it's pricey, right? Sometimes it's blood, sweat, and tears. But it's no wonder if we live in a culture that says, eh, that when we see a toll booth, we think it's a roadblock, and we turn around, and we back down, and we forget we fail to live the story that we were created to tell. I mean, you got a great story. You're extraordinary, just like Samuel. And his story is in 1 Samuel chapter one. We started in verse one last week. It says this, there was a certain man, not just some guy, there was a certain man whose name was Elkanah. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. So that's weird. We're talking about polygamy today at Southside. Fantastic. You're looking at me right now going, seriously, Mike, like I invited a friend and this is what you talk about. That's so cool. It's a problem. If you're going to do the story, do the story. This is Samuel's mom and dad, Hannah and Elkanah. And Elkanah has two wives, Penina and Hannah. It's weird because sometimes people will look at the people of the Bible and they'll assume that whatever the people do in the Bible, I should do. That if I, read, if I read in the Bible and there's people doing stuff, well, obviously God wants us to do that, but that's not true. There's principles in the Bible and then there's people in the Bible. And the stories that we find in the Bible are real people, no superheroes, but real people. Sometimes they're an example of what to do and sometimes they're an example of what not to do. So polygamy, let's talk about polygamy today. I can't believe we're talking about polygamy today, but here we go. It's in the story. Polygamy, is that God's plan? Nope. In Genesis chapter two, we see that God institutes marriage, and he says this. Uh, a man will leave his father and mother and become united to his, not wives, his wife, his wife. And the two, not three, not four, not five, the two will become one. But sometimes people get it wrong. And if you model your life after everything that people in the Bible do, you, you might find yourself, well, it would be a weird life. Like, it's not just polygamy, man. There's rape in there. There's murder in there. There's gossip in there. There's slander in there. Like, imagine living that way. You know, last week I told you about the, the, this guy named Joseph, and he was an annoying little brother. So his older brothers decide, I know how we're going to fix Joseph. We'll just beat him to a pulp and sell him to slave traders. So now imagine that for a second. You're like, wait a minute. I also have an annoying little brother. This works out perfect. There's principles. And then there's people. And sometimes the people uh, serve as a warning to us. There's 33 examples in the Old Testament of the Bible of polygamy. And every single one of them leads to dysfunction and despair and heartbreak. So if that does not serve as a good enough argument against polygamy for you, let me ask you this. Do you really need another mother-in-law? <laughs> Boom. Case closed. Can we move on? We're going to move on. Okay. <sighs> I knew you guys would like that one. Okay, so uh, Panina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. 
But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and she would not eat. So that's the story of Samuel's mom and dad a little bit. There's Hannah and Elkanah. And that's an annoying part of the story to me. You got two wives. One of them, Penina, she's a mean girl. She's a jerk. And she's having kids like crazy. And in that culture, like the status of a woman was largely determined on her ability to have kids. And the jerk, the mean girl's having kids, and, 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 and the nice lady, Hannah, has none. And so the question that arises is a real simple one. You've asked it before. Why do good things happen to bad people? Or how about I put it another way? Why do bad things happen to good people? You've asked that question. I have. You will get asked that question. See, and it's really, really important because, listen, I can stand up here all I want and I can say to you, man, you have a great story to tell. And the number one determining factor that will decide whether or not you tell the story that you were born to tell is whether you believe that you have a story to tell at all. And that's awesome. But you should understand the setting in which your story takes place. The setting is a world in which bad things happen to good people. And you have people who say, well, if God created the world, why did God not create a world in which there was no suffering, there was no tragedy, there was no pain, and there was no heartbreak? And the easiest answer that I can give you on that one is he did. Genesis chapter 1, first page of the Bible, verse 31 says this, God looked at everything that he had created, and behold, it was very good. Okay, so what happened? Now, in order to answer that in a way that might provoke your attention a little bit, I'll put it this way. What happened to that perfect world with no pain, no suffering, no heartbreak? Love happened. You're, you're gonna be saying, well, Mike, you're saying that love caused, caused pain and suffering and heartbreak. Let me put it this way. From eternity past to eternity future, God has, God is, God will exist. Right, when, 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 when God appeared to Moses out of a burning bush, uh, Moses says to God, well, when I go talk to the people, who should I say sent me? And what does God say? God says, you tell them I am sent you. God always has and always will exist in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they live in a relationship of perfect love. So love is the highest value in history. Love is the highest value in the universe. And so when God spoke the universe into existence, and at the pinnacle of his creation, he placed people, he wanted to give us the capacity to love, the highest value in the universe. And in order to give us the capacity to love, he also had to give us the capacity to choose. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example. This is my phone. It's an iPhone. And uh, it comes with a personal assistant, and her name is Siri. I gave my, my Siri a cool Irish accent. I don't know why I did that, but 
but I did, okay? So you're gonna hear Siri in a second. So uh, here we go. I, 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 I'm going to try to begin a loving relationship with Siri. Are you ready for this? Okay. <clears throat> Are you ready, I said. I just don't know what I'm doing. Oh, uh, Siri, do you love me? I think you're pretty great. Okay. But I didn't ask that. Okay, so let's try it again. But Siri, do you love me? Well, I enjoy spending quality time with you. Okay, but that's not really what I asked her, right? Okay. <clears throat> but Siri, I need to know if you love me. Look at her, she's thinking, look at that. She's speechless. Okay, she's not gonna talk to me. So I want you to imagine for a second though, that I just stayed at it. A day, two days, three days, four days, until I finally wore Siri down and eventually she said, yes, Mike, I love you. Or, or, or let's say I, I'm a very good at technical stuff, so I got my Phillips screwdriver out and I opened up my iPhone and I reprogrammed it. So Siri said, I love you, would that be meaningful? No choice. Highest value in the universe is love. God gave you the capacity to love. God gave me the capacity to love. In order to have the capacity to love, you must have the capacity to choose. Which means this, we can choose God or we can choose not God. And, and the implications of that are pretty massive, aren't they? Because God's the unmade maker. God's the uncreated creator. God is the author and sustainer of life. The, the, the Bible says that God isn't just hopeful, God is hope. God is love. God is strength. God is joy. God is peace. And we can choose God or we can choose not God. We can choose to love God or we can choose to not love God. We can choose to trust God or we can choose to not trust God. We can choose to follow God or we can choose to not follow God. But remember, in order to have the capacity to love, we must have the capacity to choose God or not God. And way back on page three of the Bible, Genesis chapter three, the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, they chose not God. And see, when you, when you break away from God, when you walk away from God, what are you walking away from? You're walking away from hope. When you choose not God, you're choosing not hope, not peace, not joy, not strength. And so way back on page three, something in creation was broken. And into the equation because of the capacity to choose that you and me were given into the equation entering, entered suffering and tragedy and heartbreak. Now, I, fi I find that question pretty easy to answer. Now I'm gonna give you a more difficult question. If God knew that this planet, this world, is full of suffering and pain and heartbreak, why in the world would he have placed you here? Why would he do that? And I want to attempt to the best of my ability to answer that for you today in, in, with, with three answers. Number one, because he loves you. 
because he's for you and because he's got you. So why did God place a person like you, why did God place a person like me in this world full of suffering, pain, and heartbreak? Why would he do that? Well, number one, because he loves you. Maybe the best way that I could explain that to you today would be to talk to the parents. Why in the world did you have kids? Why would you do that? You you know what this world is like. You know that your kids are gonna face suffering and bullying and heartbreak, right? And yet you chose to have kids anyways. Why would you do that? Because you also knew that they would experience joy and hope and adventure and love. So why would God place you on this planet when he knew that you would face heartbreak and bullying and difficulty and suffering and pain? Because he knew that you would also experience hope and adventure and joy and love. So why did God place us on this planet? Number one, because he loves us. Number two, because he's for us. He's for us. There's a chapter in the Bible, in the New Testament of the Bible, Romans chapter eight. Written by the Apostle Paul, okay, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And in Romans chapter eight, verse 31, Paul says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? And and, and it sounds good, but I want you to think about it what does that mean to you and me in this setting that our story is playing out? What does that mean to, to me and what does it mean to you in a world where suffering and pain and heartbreak exist? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, if you back up three verses in Romans 8, you read Romans uh, eight twenty eight, and, and, and it explains it, I think. It says this, in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him in all things. Notice how it doesn't say God causes all things. It says in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Before I go on to explain that in any way, I wanna suggest that for many years, Christians have used this verse to say something really stupid to people who are going through tragedy, and I wanna advise you right now to never say to someone who's going through suffering or tragedy the following. Everything happens for a reason. It's really glib and it's really hurtful. And unless the person is a place where you can explain for four hours the philosophy behind what you're actually saying, I would just be with him and don't even open your mouth if that's all you have to say. But God, it's for you In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. When I think about that verse, I think about my son, Beza. Years ago, Corinne and I adopted uh, Beza and Samuel from Haiti and brought them to Canada. When they they came to Canada, Samuel was almost five and Beza was almost seven. I want to tell you something in all honesty that before... Bedza came to Canada, his life in Haiti, uh, he experienced hardship and devastation that I would suggest that a vast, vast, vast majority of Canadian kids have never experienced or could even comprehend. 
I'm not going to tell Beds a story that's actually Beds a story to tell, but I'm going to leave it at this. To summarize, Bedza's years in Haiti, much of it was not good. And if you met Bedza, and if you had the opportunity to get to know Bedza well, you would notice one thing about him, I guarantee you, as soon as you got to know him well. He has a huge heart of compassion. Incredible heart of compassion. Karen and I joke sometimes that Beza is by far the nicest manis. And I think in a sense it's true. Man, that guy, he'll notice the unnoticed. He has a heart to help hurting people. He has a heart to love lonely people. He just has a capacity to care unlike almost any I've, well, for sure unlike any I've seen in a kid his age. So now, I want you to think about that. Be, be, because if I could go back to his years in Haiti and undo what happened to him, would I do it? In a heartbeat, I would. And yet, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. What's that called? It's called redemption. God writes straight even with crooked lines. God writes straight with, that's redemption. God writes straight with crooked lines. God's for you. So why did he place you on this planet when he knew that there's pain and suffering? Well, well number, number one, because he loves you. Number two, because he's for you. And I want to tell you that for some of you, redemption, you're not fully going to see it. God writes straight with crooked lines. It's really easy for me to stand up here and say this, but you've walked through tragedy in your life and you won't see that redemption fully on this side of eternity. Which brings me to point three. He's got you. Your body's wearing out. Just being honest, I noticed it from up here. <laughs> your, your body's wearing out. You, you, you know that. But, but you're not wearing out. So you, you have a body that will one day, one day wear out completely, but you aren't your body. You are a soul. You will live forever. And forever is a long time. It's interesting in, when, we, when we try to take what we're walking through in this world and, and step back and try to look at it from the perspective of forever. That same chapter in Romans chapter 8, Paul tried to explain it this way. He says, uh, that's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. And I love that. Some people say to me sometimes, I can't resolve a loving God in this broken world. And I would suggest to you that I can't resolve this broken world without a loving God. Because it's, Paul's talking here about the, the joyful anticipation. You, you, you feel that. 
It's that longing inside of us that says there's gotta be more to life than this, and there is, forever. One of my best friends is someone who's walked through extreme tragedy in his life. He said this to me one day, he said, I will live this life with a broken heart. But I believe that you could live well with a broken heart in this life, in this life, in this life, in this life. What is this life? Well, this life is, this is where we are. And it seems really, really big, but what is it in comparison to forever? I don't know, I guess maybe it'd be like saying, there's this speck of dust right there, and that's this life. And then there's this gym, and that's forever, but that doesn't even do it justice. Let's imagine that I said to you that on January the 1st, of 2020. Beautiful January day. Every once in a while we get those, right? No rain, nice and sunny. I get in a car accident, okay? January the 1st of 2020, I get into a car accident, and not just any kind of car accident, but I'm not paying attention, and I, and, 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 and I kind of drift over into the shoulder, and a motorcycle gang has all parked their motorcycles on the shoulder, and I run into all their motorcycles. January the 1st, 2020, I come like careening into a bunch of motorcycles owned by a motorcycle gang and I wreck my car and I destroy their motorcycles and let's just imagine on January the 1st of 2020 that the motorcycle gang who owns that mo those motorcycles are standing close enough that they see what I do and they come running over as I get out of my car. One of them is so upset that they punch me in the head and they knock out three of my teeth. January the 1st of 2020. And let's imagine on that, in that same moment that there is a photographer from the Chilliwack Progress who catches that moment, you know, as one of my teeth is flying across uh, the air. And let's imagine that it's such a good picture that it becomes the, uh, it, it gets on the front page of the Chilliwack Progress the next day, and, and the headline underneath it says, local pastor punched out by woman on motorcycle, okay? <laughs> and, and, and let's imagine that the picture is so good that it just goes viral on all the social media channels, January 1st of 2020. And then I gotta go in and I gotta get dental surgery. It's a bad story, you know, bad day. But, but, but let's further imagine that nine days later on January 10th of 2020, which is my birthday, if you wanna just maybe mark that down, you can do that right now, I'll give you a second. Okay, so on January the 10th, 2020, I get a letter from a lawyer, and I'm thinking it's from the biker chick, but, but, but it's not. It, it, I open it up and the letter from the lawyer says this. Mike, you had a long lost uncle. You never knew him, but he knew you and frankly, he was impressed. He made a fortune in Bitcoin. And after watching your life and deciding you really are something, Mike, he's decided to leave you two billion dollars. That's cool. Okay, and so let's say I take the two billion dollars and I buy the Edmonton Oilers. Okay, so let's say I decide to buy the Edmonton Oilers, because why wouldn't you, right? And, uh, and, and let's imagine that about mid-February, the Oilers are hard to believe, but they're struggling, they're out of the playoff race, okay? And let's imagine that I fly to Edmonton, I get into the, the locker room with them, and I say, listen guys, I gotta, I, 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 I gotta tell you something. I really believe, Oilers, that you have a great story to tell. It's a Stanley Cup story, Connor. It's a Stanley Cup story. And the number one factor that will determine 
whether or not you tell this Stanley Cup story is whether you even believe you have one, Connor. And let's imagine that for some reason that just lights a fire underneath them. They go on and they win the Stanley Cup. You know, we do a parade in Edmonton and it's awesome. And to celebrate after that, let's say I decide to take my family down to California. And Josh Lucas and I walk up to Pebble Beach Golf Course. Say, guys, I'm going to treat you to a round at Pebble Beach. And the guy at Pebble Beach says, I got some bad news and some good news. Bad news is you can't golf here this week. There's a tournament. It's the U.S. Open. But here's the good news. I recognize you from the pitcher, you know, the tooth pitcher. And, and I heard you're a really good golfer. And I say, well, yes, obviously, word has spread. I am great at golf. And uh, he says, I'm going to add you to the tournament. We, we, we have one missing spot. You're in. And I win the thing. I win it. Sports Illustrated names me as the sports person of the year. And let's imagine further that that fall of 2020, for the first time in the history of our church, uh, we, we, we open our own first-time facility, our own home. You know, and, let, and let's say we see God just working like crazy, changed people, changing people, one life, one story at a time. And let's imagine that uh, for the first Christmas that we ever meet in, 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 our, in our own home, our own facility that we set, attendance records, it's just incredible. And then you come to me on December 31st of 2020 and you say this, you ask this, you say, Mike, how was your year? And I look at you and I say, obviously it was terrible. Some biker chick punched my lights out. You get where I'm going? Not a clue, do you? Me neither. Okay, so let me, let me, let me, let me, let me try. The, <laughs> the, the band sang a song earlier. It's called Amazing Grace. There's a part of the song that says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun when we've been there, where's there? There's a place that God's preparing for you. There's a place that God's preparing for me. It's forever. It's a new heaven and a new earth. No suffering, no pain, no tears, no heartbreak, no sickness, no death. A, a forever of adventure and strength and love and for some reason, all week long, I keep, whenever I think about heaven, whenever I think about forever, I think of the word this week of swashbuckling. I don't know why, but now I've said it out loud. So it's, it, it, it's just going to be that. Beyond our ability to even comprehend forever. And, and I wonder, I wonder, with all due respect, because I understand this world is hard. In some ways, we live in the rubble of a broken world, but I wonder if this life, if this life, if this life will look a little bit different 10,000 years from now. I want to read you a true story that I hope will illustrate the hope that we have. True story. In 1989, an earthquake hit Armenia. A father had just dropped off his son for school. He saw the road buckle in front of him and he headed back to his son's school only 
to discover that the whole building had been flattened. The father remembered the promise that he had always made to his son, no matter what, I will always be there for you. Tears began to fill his eyes as he looked at the pile of debris that was once his son's school. He began to concentrate on where he walked his son to class that morning. And so he rushed there and he started digging through the rubble. Other parents who had gathered told him that he was wasting his time and energy, but the father would only say, are you gonna help me? And he kept on digging. The fire chief showed up and tried to pull him off of the debris saying, you're in danger, we will take care of it. You go home, to which the Armenian father's response was, are you gonna help me find my son? The police came and urged the man to give up, but he kept digging. He dug for eight hours. 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours. And then in the 38th hour, he pulled back a boulder and he heard his son's voice. The man screamed his son's name, Armand. He heard back, Dad, it's me, Dad. I told the other kids not to worry. I told them that if you were alive, you'd save me. And when you saved me, they'd be saved. You promised. No matter what, I'll always be there for you. You did it, Dad. And Dad, can you let the other kids come out first because I know you'll get me. No matter what, I know that you'll be there for me. Sometimes I feel like we, we live in the rubble of a broken world. And I stand up here and I say, man, God loves you. And God's for you. And God's got you. And that's what I mean. God sent his son, Jesus Christ. He stepped into the rubble of human history. And Jesus came and he died and he rose again. And he will always be there for you. And here we are in the rubble of a broken world. But I'll tell you, if you look careful between the cracks, you know what you see? You see grace. You see grace. You see a God who loves you, a God who's for you, and a God who's with you. One last thing I want to read for you, written by one of my favorite authors, Frederick Buechner. He says this, grace. Grace. Grace is something that you can never get but can only be given. There's no way to earn it or deserve it or bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream or earn good looks or bring about your own birth. A good sleep is grace and so are good dreams. Most tears are grace. The smell of rain is grace. Somebody loving you is grace. Loving somebody is grace. Have you ever tried? to love somebody. A crucial eccentricity of the Christian faith is the assertion that people are saved by grace. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. 
the grace of God means something like here is your life. You might never have been, but you are. Because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. But don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can only be yours if you'll reach out and take it. Maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too. Through the rubble of a broken world, we see grace. We see a God who loves you. We see a God who's for you. We see a God who's got you. That's grace. So as I close today, just ask you to take a moment of reflection. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes. God is a father who promises you, to you today, I will always be there for you. <laughs> he proved it when he sent his son. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose again for you. Jesus is building a place in forever for you. That's grace. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if today is the day that you want to reach out and take hold of his grace, take hold of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and the victory that is ours through his resurrection, can you just raise your hand right now because I want to pray for you right now. Nice and high if you don't mind. That's awesome. Awesome. You can put your hands down. If you just raised your hand, I'm going to pray out loud and I just ask that you would join me and pray silently along with me. Dear God, thank you for creating me <laughs> and placing me in this beautiful and terrible world. Thank you for forever. Thank you for Jesus. Today, Jesus, I come and I ask you, would you please be my savior? Forgive my sins right now. I thank you for a clean slate and a new beginning. And today, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord. I wanna follow you one next step at a time, today, tomorrow, and all the way into a swashbuckling eternity. Thank you, in your name. Amen. Can we celebrate that church? <laughs> Through the cracks of this world, we see it. We see it. We see it. It's grace. He loves you. He's for you. He's got you. Love you guys. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you at any of our three Sunday services held at Sardis Secondary School on Stevenson Road in Chilliwack, British Columbia. For more information, please visit southsidelife.com.